Great I am. As you're being seated, um, we just sang two songs, and the first one, or two songs ago, it said, I believe, and we stated what we believed. And then we talked about the power of the great I am. He is powerful. The enemy has no right or authority to even touch the great I am. But we sang about I believe, and, and as an introduction, is, I wanted to get you thinking about what do you believe? I made a statement not realizing I was making it. Sometimes I do that, probably more times than I ought to. I, I speak and then I think. Anybody else ever do that? Okay. But what the statement was is that we have a society today that is greatly, probably more time than, there's a great number of people that are very unchurched. And what I mean by unchurched, they haven't spent time in a church and maybe aren't even familiar about church and what church is all about. But then that also means that there's a great amount of people that don't know the Bible as well. And so not knowing the Bible, the foundation of our faith is a big deal. Because what do you believe? Well, I'm happy to say that I have a great understanding because I I did grow up here, but I had a great father that loves the Word of God. And so I can say my father taught us, by example and by word, the Word of God. And so this morning, I get to introduce to you my father, Pastor Doug Sr., to teach us the Word of God. If you would give him a hand this morning. I come down here. <laughs> Always more comfortable because I, I don't know if I can navigate these steps. And if I go, and if I start up there, I know I'll end up down here. So, <laughs> Father's Day. I'd like to uh, shout out to all the fathers who made it possible for all of you to be here today. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't be here otherwise. Uh, also, I wanted to point out you know, how progressive we are as a church. Back in the day, when my dad was pastor of this church, you never stood here or behind the pulpit unless you had a coat and a tie on because that God said, you know. And then when I became the pastor, I took on more of a casual Parents and a lot of Hawaiian shirts and things like that. When Pastor Scott became pastor, he introduced <laughs> denim. And now, Pastor Doug introduced tails on the outside. And I have you know I fit right in today. <laughs> My wife just bought me Father's Day clothes. That's why I decided I'd wear them today. Uh, well, It's good to be here uh, on Father's Day. I don't know where I I don't. There's no other place I'd rather be. Um, And I want to just take a moment to talk about the Father in Heaven. A couple of scriptures in Ephesians chapter four, verses four through six. It says, "There is one body and one spirit." 
just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So even though the people that Doug was talking about earlier that you know, don't know the Bible, God is still the Father of all. And uh, as Paul said in Philippians, that there's going to come a day where we will all bow our knee before him. And uh, we thank God that we saw the light, and we heard the call of the Holy Spirit, and we accepted God our Father. And then another scripture I like, and I just was reading through these scriptures just recently in John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, how, show us the Father. How many would like to see the Father? You know, Philip said, show us the Father, and it's, it'll be enough for us. All we, just show us our Father, and that'll be all we need. You know, it'll be enough. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So when we get to know Jesus, and we see Jesus, and we experience him in, his, in our lives, we know the Father. And the Father and the Son want to come and dwell with us Inhabit our lives, be with us constantly, continually. And so this morning, uh, Pastor Doug, my son, our son, asked me to preach. And one of the things that's been in my heart lately is discipleship. And I uh, think that I'm, the older I get, uh, the more I realize how important being a disciple and making disciples is. I wish I would have understood this principle more 35, 40 years ago than I do today. But given the, the, the times that we are living in, I have a question for you. Who do you want to teach the next generation. Who do you want to teach your children? Are you willing to just give that responsibility away and allow anyone who claims the name of teacher be the one who educates your child? Do we just send our children off to school or off to play? with no thought in mind about what they will be learning that day? Who do you want to teach your children today? 
You know, somebody is teaching your child. Hopefully it's you. They are learning from someone. Uh, And, you know, it could be their coach. It could be a teacher at school. It could be a YouTube channel. Somebody is teaching your child. Who is it? And what do they believe? Do they know the Heavenly Father like you know the Heavenly Father? One thing you can be sure of today, your children are learning. They are being taught. And today, we live in what we call, you know, I was looking this up because I don't know about millennials, and I know I'm a baby boomer, and then there was whatever the... Gen Xers or whatever, but what do you call this generation? What do you call my grandchildren? I, I was looking this up, and there's, they're called the I generation. The I generation is though, are those children that are being raised on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, you know, the Internet. And if it's on the Internet, it must be true. You know, so is that what's teaching your children today? What are you monitoring in your home? What are you monitoring in your family and with your children? Because they are learning. And they are adopting certain values in their life right now as we speak. And so I ask the question again, who do you want to teach your children? Uh, The Internet. I just was looking up some facts here. Again, I, uh, and it's, it was on the computer, on the internet, so it must be true, right? So, uh, the internet's takeover of the global communication landscape was almost instant in historical terms. It only communicated one percent of the information flowing to, through two-way telecommunications networks uh, in the year 1993. Think about that. 1993, one percent of information was funneled through the Internet. By the year 2000, 51%. And by the year 2007, 97% of all information was being transmitted through the Internet. And the Internet continues to grow and expand. And today we have this thing called social networking. And you know the big deal that was going on with Facebook recently where they were accused of uh, not posting conservative news stories, whatever, because the things were being uh, editorialized or whatever. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, a lot of our young people today, that's where they get, they're not from Facebook, they don't like Facebook because we're on Facebook, you know. (laughs) <laughs> so they're getting their news from their Twitter feeds or their, you know, their Instagrams or whatever it is. They're, that's where they're getting their news. And so who's putting the news feeds out there? What are, what's, again, is shaping their thoughts and, their, and their, their attitudes? And so we have a huge challenge today. You know, when I grew up, my parents bought this huge set of encyclopedias. 
And whenever you had to do a book report, you always went to the World Book or the Britannicas, you know, and you looked up this, the, this, the uh, subject and you did all this work and you, you plagiarized the whole thing, you know, and you turned it in. And, uh, and that was, that's how we did it in my day. Today, it's Wikipedia, you know. And Google is a new encyclopedia today. It's new Britannica. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a scary thought. You know, I was thinking back to the progressiveness of us, you know. You know, we come here to tails and genes. I fear what the next generation will bring, you know. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> maybe we stop being progressive, all right. Or maybe we'll go back the other way. You know, never know. Um, Okay, so anyhow, the, the whole point of this introduction and this message today is discipleship is really to be a family business. It's to be part of the everyday life of the family. It's not a once-in-a-while accidental thing that happens, but it's something that's intentional. And we're going to talk about that today. And it started clear back with Moses and actually beyond that, earlier than that, you can look back at Abraham, how God praised Abraham because everyone that was raised in his household, including the servants, grew up to know God. And then he praised Moses because Moses, you know, everyone that was raised in his household was was. Uh, trained and, and, and knew the scriptures and, and uh, knew the commandments at least. And so these great men of God, our, our patriarchs in the faith, they were praised by God in the scriptures because they trained up their children in the ways of God. And so then God gave a commandment to Israel. And we're going to look at that one in Deuteronomy Chapter 4 and verse 9. And I want you to count the personal pronouns in this verse as we go through it. This is not something you can throw over your shoulder. It says here, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and to your children's children. How many times? I think there's seven there, isn't there? Seven times. You get the point? Discipleship is really a personal thing. God says you. Let's read it again. Take care, give attention to this thing, and keep your soul diligently. You know, we all have a soul, and that soul was, was made in the image of God. And just as your parents wanted you to honor the family and be respectful of the family name and of the home and everything else, so God wants you to be respectful and honorable to the soul that he created and put inside of you. Take care of your soul. Do it diligently, faithfully, every day. 
lest you forget. And how many know it doesn't take long for us to forget? Because the things that we see with our eyes pull us away. The things that we hear pull us away. The things that we touch, taste, what all these things will pull us away from the things that we have learned. And so he says, be diligent about it. That your, that, that your heart, from, the, from departing from your heart all the days of your life. And so it doesn't matter. We never arrive. We never graduate. It doesn't matter how old you are. We always need to grow in our faith. And, or we may depart from it. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Grandparents, you're not off the hook. You know? There's ways I know we need to be respectful of their parents and not interfere. But there are ways uh, that we can, in our, just our interaction with our grandchildren, teach them the ways of God through creation and so many other ways. Uh, so discipling your family was a precedence that was established in the Old Testament after Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. And it was practiced throughout the Jewish history. And actually, it became part of the Jewish community. So the synagogues were set up, the schools and so forth, all to help disciple the children and teach them the, the Torah and the laws of Moses and all of, the, all of the word of God. So the whole society was structured in such a way. You know, America was somewhat structured that way in its beginnings. Our schools, our one-room one schoolhouses and so forth were based upon the Bible. We learned how to read from the Bible and so forth. And it was all supportive to the family. And that's really what the church is to be today. The church is not the fount of family education. It is the support of education. And really the responsibility rests upon, what does it say there? You. And upon me. And we can't pass it off to our educational uh, community or to our churches. Now, they're there to assist and to help us. But they are not to shape the morals and the values of our children, which is going on so much time today in our schools. That's your job. That's my job. I might get arrested for this. I don't know. but Scriptures show us that the priority of the head of the family, fathers, mothers, could be grandparents, whoever is the head of the family, aunt, uncle, is to the spiritual life and direction and training of the children. And everyone in the household. Husbands, wives, wives, husbands, children, relatives, extended family. That's the way it was set up to be. Uh, But there is a tendency in our human nature to forget what God has done in the past. Oh, let me, uh, going back to that scripture there, it says, lest you forget 
uh, where is that? Lest you, they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Lest you forget. You know, God did a lot of amazing things for the children of Israel. I mean, they came out of Egypt. They crossed over the Red Sea. Manna every day. You know, brought quail and, and to, for them to eat. And, and they healed them when the, when the snakes, you know, came out to bite them and, and so forth. There's a lot of amazing things. And you know what? As, as parents especially, we should be sharing our amazing experience with God with our children. Because... They, don't, they maybe have not experienced God as you have, but they can know God and hear their experiences with God as you share them with them. Uh, and one day, they will have their own experience with God. So, the next point there on the screen is uh, personal discipleship. So, if that, if that wasn't enough in verse in Deuteronomy 4, 9, look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6 here. Hear, O Israel. You've heard this, this before. This is the, uh, the cry of the Jewish world. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Lord is one. And then he goes on to say, you shall love the Lord. Wanda gave the word this morning. What do we need? Love for God. Not this, you know, crazy love. But love for God. And loving, for, loving God is to love each other. And not to, you know, pass judgment upon. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Get that? With all your heart. And so your heart is consumed for love for God. There's nothing left over. My love is just completely sold out 100% for God. Now, for us to even get there, a lot of things would have to go. Right? Because there's a lot of things that our heart that is drawing our heart, that our heart yearns for, uh, more than God. Love God with all your heart. Again, this is personal. And with all your soul, that your mind and your will, with all of your might, all your strength, Serve the Lord. Everything that you do while you're at work, at home, school, play, whatever it is, do it good. Don't just try to get through because, you know, it's honoring to God. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And so the point I want to make here, or the scripture makes, is that you can't begin to disciple your family unless you first have become a disciple. Unless you're willing to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you know, now, and let me say this. You must desire to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean you have to become a fully devoted, perfect disciple, knowing the whole Bible and everything in it, can quote all the books of the Bible and whatever, and memorize so many verses before you start discipling your children. You can do this simultaneously. 
As you're growing in faith, you're sharing with, with your children at, at their level and in, their, in a, your way how they can know Christ in a deeper way. Discipling your family begins with personal discipleship. And then, uh, as we I've mentioned, I got in my notes here, but we already talked about that. How many times in that previous verse in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, personal pronoun was used. You, your, your, you, you, your, your, whatever. <clears throat> I know when I'm preaching because of that scratchy throat comes back. Family discipleship is every day, all day. It's 24-7. It never ends. Look at this passage here in Deuteronomy 6-7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Again, it's very... Directed, you, you, you. (laughs) There's no getting this off your back. We have this responsibility. And here he's saying not only is it for you, but it's for your children and for your children's children. And whenever you're walking in the way, be teaching them, showing them something. Reveal something to them about God's word. You know, and... uh, it's, it's, it's neat that, you know, you can do this all day, every day. As you're taking them to school or you're taking them to their, their soccer game or whatever their event is, uh, the concert. Uh, praying with them, talking to them, uh, and, and showing them the ways of God. Uh, <laughs> Discipling our children, though, has lost its priority. Most of our time and our money and our effort is spent in trying to make our children successful in this world and giving them only minor attention to the things that will take them through this world and into eternity. Now, don't get me wrong, a good education, vocation, all these things, good work habits, all that is important, and we need to do that as well. But if we spend all of our time, money, and energy on that, and they haven't learned to know Jesus, they haven't learned to become a disciple, what have we given our children of eternal value? Do not lay up treasures here on earth, but lay up your treasures in heaven. And so, you know, if we would just give maybe 50% of our time, money, and energy that we give to our children to make sure they're successful in this life, to helping them to grow in their spiritual life, the world would be a much different place today. But we shouldn't be giving 50%. We should be giving it all, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might and strength to this thing of discipleship. Now, um, you know, Jesus didn't get angry often. 
But he did get angry periodically. And there's one scripture, if I can find it here. Um, I just jumped way ahead of my notes, I think. Let me find it. Okay, it's in Matthew chapter 10, verses, no, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. The only time that the scripture mentions where Jesus got indignant. You ever, would you like to see an indignant Jesus? No, we like to see a smiling, happy Jesus, you know. And so, but there's this one time when Jesus was very indignant. And it says, it's in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them, the children. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them, the little ones, in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, I kind of look at it this way. How many times has Jesus been indignant with me? How many times has Jesus been indignant with you? Because we turned the child away, or we did not give them the time, or the attention, or did not teach them and disciple them in the ways of God. And Jesus says, I don't like that. That makes him indignant. It shows us the value that he has upon these little ones. He said in another place in the same chapter, I believe, Whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water has given it to me. And so many times, you know, and and our church is not unlike any other church. What do we do with the children? We shuffle them off. Out of sight, out of mind, won't bother us. I'm getting a little bit meddling here now, so I back up. Family discipleship is a family matter every day, all day. Okay, before it's going to happen, though, we have to be have a vision. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, Matthew, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We must have a vision for the kingdom of God. Now, and I'll be assure you that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. He came preaching and teaching and healing and, and saying, repent, because the kingdom of God is here. Whether you can visualize it in your, with your, or see it with your mind, with your eyes or not, doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is here. It's all around us. And it doesn't start when we die and go to heaven. It started when Jesus came. And he brought the kingdom with him. And so what I'm saying, as a family, as a head of your household, as a father here today, do you have a vision? Do you have an understanding of the kingdom of God? Do you know this kingdom of heaven that Jesus talked about over 
almost 200 times in the Gospels. He used the phrase kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Over and over and over again, parables and stories all the time about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Do we see the kingdom of God? Do we know that? Do we realize that we're citizens of this kingdom? Is this something we talk about at the table, dinner table? No. I'm usually got the news on. So, I mean, I'm saying I, that's what I do. <clears throat> Mm. You know, sometimes you think the preacher gets off pretty easy on this thing because he's talking to all of you. <laughs> I had to read all this and eat humble pie. So, yeah, God's dealing with me as well. So I'm saying as I grow older, the more I realize all the mistakes, all the opportunities I missed with my children. There were times, we had some good times. We spent good family times together. And I can remember taking some of the kids with me on visitation and so forth because we, you know, it had to be somewhere, you know. <laughs> but those were opportunities really to just to teach and to, to talk and to know one another better. And, and you know, I, when they get to be 12, 13, you know, years old, you kind of, it's almost too late. They don't want to be with you, you know. So take advantage of it and develop that relationship with them now. They're young. Uh, Okay, I'm not going to get through this if I don't hurry here. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to disciple our families? Well, there's three words I want you to remember. If you go home with nothing else but this, this will be good. Vision, intention, and means. I want everyone to go home today with a vision for God's kingdom. There is a kingdom, and it is his. We are all his people, whether we recognize it or not. God's kingdom is here and alive and well today. It doesn't depend upon what the news headlines are saying. God's kingdom is real. And you are a kingdom person, and you can have a kingdom family. And so we need to have a vision for the kingdom. And that's why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Have a vision for that above all else. For yourself and for your children, for your marriage. The vision of life in the kingdom. If we are concerned about our own spiritual formation and that of others, the vision of the kingdom is the place where we must start. If you don't have a vision for the kingdom of God, you're not going to be concerned about training your children because you're not concerned for yourself. So this is where it begins. (coughs) Now get real personal here. If you haven't started that journey in the kingdom, that's step one. That can begin right here today, right now, by saying, Lord, you're my king. You're the king of everything. You're the king of my life. I want to be part of your kingdom. I surrender all to you now. 
and begin the kingdom journey. Begin the vision in your life and pass it on to your family. Remember, it's where Jesus started. It's the first message he taught. When he went about healing, teaching, preaching, healing, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And right after that, that's in Matthew chapter 4, if you look it up right near the end of it there, and then, then he goes into chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where he lays out the, the kingdom. What it, what's that like to live in the kingdom? The Beatitudes and everything that follows in those three chapters. <clears throat> and then I like what it says in the Gospel of Luke. It says in Luke 4, 43, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus didn't get hung up in a particular locality because he knew that his, his ministry, his calling, was to take the good news and the kingdom to all of Israel. And he only had a short period of time to do it all. <clears throat> The other time, I was, this is where I jumped ahead. Jesus got, you know, I talked about him being indignant. There was another time where Jesus uh, became one of his sternest warnings. And it, his, I mean, this is, was a heavy warning that he gave. And it's in Matthew 18 and verse 6. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones... Uh, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be, have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. See the value that Jesus has for our children? Don't hinder them. Don't send them away from my presence. Bring them in. Let me hug them. Let me hold them. Let me touch them. Let me lay my hands upon them. Let me bless them. Bring the children to me. And then he says, don't you dare teach them your bad habits. Don't teach them how to sin. how, How many families are caught up in that cycle today? Sins of the parents being passed on to the next generation. So we have to have a vision for the kingdom. And then the second word, intention. What do you intend to do about it? What are you going to do? I mean, you can say, well, that that was a challenging message this morning. You know, I needed to hear that, but. I don't think I'm going to do anything about it. What's your intention? Do you see that God has given us a command? He's going to one day ask us how we did with it. We're going to give an account. It doesn't matter, mean necessarily whether I'm going to go to heaven or hell with this thing. Because, you know, Jesus has paid the price for that. But being a Christian is much more than fire insurance. It's much more than just getting to heaven. It's about living a life. 
in all of its fullness, the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. And so he wants us to have an intention. So that means when we leave here today, we have intended, we have decided, and intention requires a decision. Without a decision, you don't have an intention. And a lot of even, and then the other thing that sits in the way of intention is procrastination. We can have an intention, we can have a decision, but we don't put it on the calendar or whatever, and we haven't made any changes in our life or our structure, our agenda, or whatever, and because of procrastination, it'll never happen. Vision and intention. Intention. What does intention mean? Intention to be a kingdom person. I'm going to be a kingdom person whether I'm, they like me or not. <laughs> uh, the, life, the vision of life in the kingdom through reliance upon Jesus makes it possible for us to intend. Can we do that song? Uh, since I see you coming up here, uh, Jeremy. I believe. That work? <clears throat> I thought of that when we were singing it. I liked that song. Uh, I mean, it goes right in line with what I'm trying to say here today. Where am I? Intention. The vision of life in the kingdom through reliance upon Jesus makes it possible for us to intend to live in the kingdom as he did. We can actually decide to do it. Intention involves decision. Do you think that Jesus told us all these stories and these parables just to make us feel good? I think they might like this one, you know. No, he intended for us to live in that kingdom world. That's why he came, that he might show us the way to the Father. He's the life, the truth, and the way. We must be intentional about how we're going to do this. Just as we are intentional about our children's health and their education, so we must be intentional about their discipleship in the kingdom of God. Let me go to the last point then. Last one is vision. We need to have a vision. You can't start with, without a vision. You know, you just wander aimlessly, the Bible says. One version. We must have an intention. I'm, I decide that starting this day, I'm going to become a kingdom person. And thirdly, the means. Now, the means is where, where God said through Moses, when you're walking in the way, when you're put, getting them up in the morning, when you're getting them put in the bed at night, you know, rising, and, you know, all those are means to an end, to teach, to teach, to teach. And, and <clears throat> I was sharing with Josh, asked me what I was going to preach on today, and and uh, I said, well, this is what I'm preaching on. He said, well, can I give you a, a tip? <laughs> sure, fire away. No, that's the, you know, he's discipling me. He says, can you stress the importance of the church? Can you stress the importance of 
the kids being in youth group and the kids being in children's church. and Now, and all these activities, the church is there to support the family in, but we say, ah, too busy tonight. You use them, you win. You snooze, you lose. The church is there to support, to encourage, and to uphold this thing of family discipleship. And yes, this church does a great job of supporting the family. But how sad it is to see the turnout or the lack of turnout. I mean, your pastor says Sunday after Sunday, week after week, to become a functional family so we can minister to a dysfunctional world. And we learn to do that as we come together in community and allow us to be sharpened by one another. Well, I still got a couple more pages here, but (coughs) what will you do to begin to disciple your family and others? Will you have a vision for your life in the kingdom? Will you intend today to be a kingdom person? And will you begin to practice and put in place some ways and means to make this happen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you that... When you were looking for a way to help us understand the kingdom, you gave your son to us. That we could see that he was the exact image of you. And he came and he sacrificed himself. He gave us his all that we might understand the love of our father. And to understand this kingdom that you are building for us. I pray, Lord, that if we will call ourselves Christians, that we will have the same devotion as Jesus had for us to teach ourselves by the word of God and those in our family and those around us. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again. That would take another uh, probably half hour. So, <laughs> thank you, though. <laughs>
and the vision and intention and then the means. I, I called it parenting on purpose. And there's times that I didn't parent on purpose. It was accidental parenting. I think that's the message today is that God called us to go beyond accidental parenting to parent on on purpose. And I don't want to make light of the fact that it's hard. It's hard because, and I say this all the time, there's so many distractions. There's so many things working against you doing that. You know, it's easy on Father's Day or Mother's Day to leave church feeling like I should be a better father or mother. We always have the opportunity to be better fathers or mothers. But what I would ask you to do is take a moment in time this week and say, I am going to focus to parent on purpose. And there is no greater purpose than to point them to Christ. You know, I I was remembering growing up and some of the things that I remember most is the time spent with a parent them showing me how to do something whether they were modeling or showing me how I remember going to my dad as I was in school well how do I how do I study for a message and he'd give me the Strong's concordance to look at or my mom teaching me how to cook and leaning we were kind of latchkey kids so she would she would put all the directions exactly how to cook a meal for the family i remember those things those things stick with me today but today as we go to teach our kids they are so distracted we were going to go camping this last weekend and plans changed but we were going to be off the grid and i was looking forward to being off the grid because it was going to force us to look at each other and talk to one another. Maybe this week, shut everything off for a half hour. I see that commercial on TV where there's no internet. And, and the family, and it shows three minutes, oh, it's okay, five minutes. Now they're panicking at 11 minutes. The world's coming to an end, right? Let the world come to an end so the spirit can come alive in the family. Parent on purpose. I would encourage you, have fun with it this week. Use social media. Tell us what you're doing to parent on purpose. Hashtag NTC parent on purpose. And let's celebrate together being a functional family. You want to see your kids succeed in life teach them where their strength comes from, teach them where hope comes from. Do you think they're going to have hard times? Absolutely. How can they have joy in the midst of hard times? Teach them that. I was thinking, thanks for preaching because you gave me like a million thoughts today. But, But think about this. We will bring them to church and they will gain knowledge. But what causes them to know how to apply it is how they watch you work it out, how, how they watch you perform for the Lord, how you worship the Lord. They will learn it here, but they'll really learn how to apply it by watching us. Let's stand up, and, and as we sing this song, we're proclaiming, this is what I believe. I believe these things. They, they're right here. They're not just here. I believe this, and I'm going to walk it out. Can we proclaim 
that we believe. Let's sing.